I knew you as as a person that was working at Star of Hope doing yeah. their um, um, their program there, and you came to me and said, "Hey, I can't be at class, you know, uh, on Friday," and you had this sheepish look on your face, and I said, "Why?" And it's like you didn't want to tell me, and I kind of I was like. So what's going on? And you said, well, I'm uh, singing backup for Stevie Wonder. And and so I was like, what? Here during the week, you were running. Did you give him an excused absence? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only if Stevie Did Wonder you? signed uh, your excused absence. Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this is Pod at Mercy. Today we're joined by uh, Kenneth Devon. John and I are going to be in conversation with somebody I've just I've loved for a long time who is in the city doing multiple things. I um, I met Kenneth when I was teaching a class at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he was a student and quickly came to know that this was a really special human being. And so, um, Kenneth, as we start out, I, would you just tell us one a little bit about yourself, what you do, kind right. of your day job, and then we'll get into your multiple side hustles. Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I'm currently at the Salvation Army of Greater Houston. Um, I just transitioned over in the pandemic, which was crazy. Mm. Um, so I'm the executive director of navigation services for Greater Houston, which mm. is uh, Harris County, Fort Bend County, and Montgomery County. And so I oversee all of their social service programs. So primarily that's all of the housing uh, programs. We have about six or seven programs that we actually provide rent subsidy for formerly homeless individuals. Mm. We have a team of managers and case managers and housing navigators um, that provide wraparound services for these individuals and families. Um, and we changed the name to Navigation Services because we really wanted to like um, kind of be the hybrid from unsheltered street life to stabilization. So navigation mm -hmm. is really kind of this life navigation of really helping them be the we are being the bridge to help them really kind of figure out what their next steps are mm -hmm. and so um so we have a navigation center in the midtown area where they can come in and get basic human needs food water you know laundry and all that but um i i came on board two and a half years ago um, for really two purposes one is program operations and the second is really <clears throat> mission coordination Mm. Uh, which is really um, helping the Salvation Army shift and realign itself back to its mission um, and, and the flourishing of all of our programs. And so part of that practically is, you know, hiring people with heart and um, who are aligning themselves with, with the values and the mission. Um, and the other part of that is really creating a, a work culture mm. um, where we can um, provide more care so it's a shared responsibility it's us too as an organization to really be a part of you know um, providing more intentional care um, for those who are on the front lines every single day hmm. so it's a huge huge, huge um, task and you know I'm like this is crazy because you know you're looking at somebody who has no experience like in any of this <laughs> yeah so so what's your background how did you, you so end up as like, the executive this, director of navigation right, like, how did this even like you know it's like i don't know what i'm doing you know but now just before this job you were you were in homeless yeah i was ministry with, i was work. with starve hope mission for seven years okay so um and i basically developed their outreach ministry um and i was doing um kind of frontline had a van going under bridges and encampments and kind of doing case management um, solo. Just me, didn't have a team at the time. It was kind of like a trial and error for Star of Hope. They just, they wanted to really go deeper into their reach and wanted to um, mm -hmm. extend their services to the unsheltered population. And so that was a divine encounter with um, their leadership team after hearing my story and said, we just feel like you're the guy for this. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you, after what I experienced with my brother and what I dealt with, <clears throat> there's absolutely no way that I could really do this. Mm -hmm. Like this is, that was some hard years, mm -hmm. you know? And um, I felt, um, I felt this yes in my heart. And um, mm -hmm. so I, I onboarded with, with uh, Star of Hope and w again, with no, 
you know, really no kind of map. And just they gave me this canvas to kind of really create and, their outreach. And they ministry. gave you that canvas. My understanding is because they had heard your story about an encounter you had with your brother and, yeah. and some of those. And they said, whatever you did there, could you figure out how to do it here exactly. in a larger scale? Yeah. Can you talk? But I, I want you to go back and start like <laughs> earlier than that, because people yeah. may not know your story. That's true. I just read the article. <laughs> I mean, I know. before you get to it's this great. interaction with your brother, I mean, mm. you went to like, you went to study in school for other things and yeah so go go from there and then then get to the story about you so my whole life is surrounded by music i mean i music was my life i i, I went to music schools all through elementary i went to a music conservatory in high school and middle school <laughs> and college so i mean that was my dream that was that was my desire and so I was really I worked really hard um, to to get a scholarship to Berkeley College of Music in Boston and you know when I when I left Houston I knew that I was not coming back to Houston like I knew my life leaves we, hometown. we all like, say that I'm my never, life never is to be lived on the <laughs> east coast my parents left and I was like this is it like mm. I, I loved every minute of it, and um, I went, I, I mean, I just, it, I, you know, I, I mean, it was, it just felt right. It felt good. <laughs> was your it. dream to be like in L.A. or New York just singing your guts out? Yeah, I mean, of course. And so, mm. you you know, you're at Berkeley, you're among the best of the best. Um, you know, I yep. mean, it's just like, and so that was also very intimidating, but also very challenging because it's like you got to really step up. Mm. And yeah, so it, and it's every man for himself. So the, the whole goal is to really kind of build yourself and to make these connections and, you know, get on a tour and all that. But I discovered while I was there that it, they had this, um, this uh, major called business management. So I was like, well, okay, you know, I like that, you know, let me mm -hmm. major in that. So my, my degree is in business management with emphasis in music in the music industry. Cause I really, I wanted to kind of get involved in the music industry. Mm. And so I started interning at Atlantic Records um, my sophomore year. Uh, my third year there, um, I got a gig with Lupe Fiasco. He's a rapper um, that was with Atlantic Records and I was a part of his PR team. So we did his first album, The Cool, that came out mm -hmm. um, in 06. And we were just kind of doing um, some all of his PR stuff all on the East Coast. So I was like, man, okay, I think my niche is like the back, you know, behind the scenes and kind of doing the the, you know, record label stuff. And um, and then that kind of shifted when I got the opportunity to kind of audition for um, for a background singing. So it didn't initially start with the background, you know, mm -hmm. singing, but um, that kind of transitioned while while I was there and so but I mean the idea was this was my life right this mm -hmm. was it was all about you know getting opportunities within that yeah. industry and so um so then I moved to New York and it was I was there and <clears throat> got on tour and was touring um for various artists and it's kind of just this kind of grunt like you just kind of make connections you you know you you kind of at, at some point, you don't do so much auditioning. You just kind of, you know, you, you get phone calls and that's kind of how it how it works. It's all it's all about who you know. So I was doing that and, you know, was doing it at a very young age and I was making a lot of money with, you know, per tour. And I was like, well, this is it. This is mm -hmm. this is my life. And, um, you know, and so there I um there was a community um at Berkeley that I was connected with. It was a, it was a, um, a Christian community that, you know, was just really was kind of really seeking me and kind of, um, invited me to, you know, understand more about, you know, Christ. And, um, <clears throat> I actually encountered the Lord on tour. I had an encounter with Jesus on tour and, um, it really began to shift things for me. Mm -hmm. So I left Berkeley to go on tour. So 
what happens is that when you go on when you go on tour, you don't necessarily have to stay at Berkeley. So I didn't I didn't go to Berkeley with the intent to finish. <laughs> to make connections. Yeah, it was like it like this bridge to kind of get me get me on the you know get me on where I wanted to go. And so, um, so when I really began to kind of um, understand, like this is you know man, now I have Jesus. And I, I, I felt like the first thing that he told me to do was to, to go back to school. Here's what's crazy. I went back to Berkeley a year after this. And, um, cause I, I was on a full scholarship and, um, I remember sitting in the, in the, um, advisor's office, um, when I went back to Boston to try to figure out, you know, how will I make this work? I have one year left, mm. you know, do I have to pay for it? What is this, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she comes back an hour later. I'm sitting in her office. And she says to me, Kenneth, we um, can't find your paperwork that indicated that you left and your scholarship is still valid according to our records. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> That's Somebody amazing. snuck in there. <laughs> so I'm just like weeping, like... Yeah. Yeah. Just like, okay, okay, Lord, this is it. You yeah. know? So I finished and I felt like the first thing I, after finishing, I was like, well, you know, I had this tug to like go into ministry. I had no idea what that even meant. Mm. Um, and so me and one of my best friends from Berkeley, who was also touring, we just decided to go back to Houston. We drove a, red two-door Pontiac car and we drove 30 hours from Boston to Houston with no agenda, not really knowing what we wanted to do at first. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just knew that I, you know, I wanted to kind of get into ministry and I did not know what that really meant. So that led me to a kind of initial internship for ministry one-on-one that I, um, started at Lakewood Church. And then you led worship there for a little while? Yeah, well. I was there for like four and a half years. Okay. And 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 there I was still in this kind of like, okay, what is my life? Like, mm. you know, I went to school. I'm not like, you know, you know, I, I'm just I'm 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 this is this this tug of war of like in my heart of where am I and what am I doing? Did I make a mistake? Mm. Is this just like, you know, is this all emotions and, you know, what is this, you know, I mean, and I'm wrestling like I just came from like the music industry, like I don't have money here. They want me to pay to do an internship like this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like and the Lord was just really, you know, just piercing my heart, man, and my character and and um and so that was like this, you know, that that journey, you know, um, during my internship and just kind of my introduction to ministry, you know, right. trying to figure out who I am and what what is my purpose? Hmm. You know, um, all I knew at that time was that Jesus is was what makes me is what is making me successful. <laughs> and 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 um, and so everything everything since I came to Houston has been built on divine appointments. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everything. Um, It's just been this journey with him of like just giving my yes to him and helping him allow me to understand that my success actually isn't found. Mm. It actually finds me. Mm. Um, And so I've been on this journey and it's just been like this crazy ride, you know? And so in the middle of that, um, I was um, with some group of friends that we were doing an outreach uh, ministry with Lakewood on the streets of Houston. And it went well and all that. Going back to my car in downtown Houston, there was this gentleman that was running towards me. 
And I turn around and he's running towards me. And I'm like, I don't know what to, should I leave or stay? And mm. he, as he's getting closer to me, um, he starts weeping and crying. And then he starts calling my name and I could not recognize him until he got closer to me and our eyes connected. And I realized that this person was my blood brother who I had not seen in over 15 years. Um, so, you know, background of that is that he was, you know, he had been addicted to drugs since he was 12 years old and, um, you know, just, really was um you know he he had just a really rough rough life and um and i had heard stories about what he had encountered and what he was doing but i never had a i've, I've never seen him since um you know since he left and this was before i even moved you know to to uh, boston so um seeing him for the first time was wow. like it was a, um, I, I can't fully describe in words um, that moment. I know I had an, an, an anxiety attack. Um, yeah. and um, But that, that moment shifted um, the trajectory of my life mm -hmm. um, and how I see life and how I live life. And so I ended up taking him in for two and a half years. So, so you see him on the street and then you take him home that night. We spent 13 hours initially together that first mm -hmm. encounter. Wow. Straight. Um, literally. I mean, I remember sitting at Burger at, at Waterburger. That was the only thing that was open. And he just told story after story after story. And mm -hmm. it was like someone was putting a knife in my heart and stabbing mm -hmm. me while smiling. Um, I just could not believe this was his life mm. for this many years and of course he you know he made some you know it you know he had some faults in it and you know he didn't do everything right but you know this is it's different when it's your brother mm. <laughs> it's like you don't really care what like this is all you have you know and um so yeah i um i decided to take him in without anybody knowing because I knew that if I did, the police would be at my house the next day, you know, because, you know, nobody trusted him. And, you know, I mean, his yeah. addiction led to behaviors that, you know. Yeah. So um, those two years, I'm still, you know, you know, I don't know really what I'm really doing as far as like my job or I'm still trying to figure that out. But. Um, he became my project. He became my whole uh, focus. I remember had I had a a new um, Apple computer, and Google was like my best friend. And I would Google everything. I would figure out. I would. My idea was to, I needed to understand all of these different programs and these rehabilitation centers. And I mean, we went to, we met with at least 30 people, you know, 30 organizations and going from this place to this place, um, you know, trying to, you know, get him the appropriate care and counseling. And we did it all. And it was exhausting. It was the most, it was probably the most, um, it was the hardest two years of my life um, in every, in every way. I remember sitting in church one Sunday and the Houston Police Department called my phone <coughs> and I remember rushing out into the foyer and I answered the phone and they asked me, is this Kenneth? I said, yes, um, this is, you know, officer such and such and uh, we wanted to let you know and my phone dropped <laughs> because every day in my house, that was the anxiety of <laughs> will his decisions, you know, kill him you know, will he live or die? And um, I mean, so it was just this constant like um, stress of you know. I mean, so it it was just you know there was some there was there was deep 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 valleys and you know we had some great mountain moments as well. But mm. um, you know, he was just so deep in his 
addiction and he he had this yearning to be on the streets it was just it was almost in his dna he's just yeah. it's just that's all he knew that's i mean and so um you know there were nights where um he would call in the middle of the night and he would be at this abandoned house in the middle of third ward and um you know i would he would say hey can you come and get me and you know, it's like things that you would see literally in the movies where you go into an abandoned house, there's no running water, there's no electricity, and you see him in the corner, and he has all the, he's sweating. And, um, you know, you just, it's like dragging him out, taking him home, and feeding him, bathing him. You know, it was just, it was this, this was my life for two years hmm. in private. And I was at a coffee shop in downtown Houston. <clears throat> and um, at this point, I had trans transitioned him to a um, facility in Galveston, Texas. Um, and I'm just sharing that we, we, I met this, this um, Indian lady who was at a coffee shop. And I'm sharing the story as I'm sharing it with you. And I get an email from her the next week or so. And... Um, she emails me back, not knowing at the time of our conversation. She emails me back and said, I would love to talk more about your story. Um, she was the editor-in-chief of the Texas Monthly. It's <laughs> like, okay. And so, you know, we go through that process. And so she sends me this draft and it's just like Berkeley grad, sings with, you know, and, and you know, she's just kind of, yeah. you know, blows it up. And um, the moment that um, got out, I, I was getting all these emails and, you know, all this, this, the response and encouragement, one of which was Star of Hope. And Star of Hope reached out and um, had this position open, outreach case manager. And, you know, um, just like, okay. So we sit and talk and they're like, yeah, we've been we've been having this position open for several years and we just have been praying for, for someone to come on board to kind of help us. And we know what you did with your brother, you know, take a look at it and see if that's something that you'd be interested in. And I'm like, well, let me just clarify something. You want me to do what I did with my brother to the entire city of Houston, like to the whole homeless? <laughs> like, are you insane? Take them home, bathe them, clean them up. Like, are you, are, Pick are, them up are you out of your mind? <laughs> it's like, I had so much, like, that was the worst years of my life. Yeah, like, I, did, I didn't do the article right. Did that sound like that was a lot of fun? <laughs> like, I'm crushing like, it. There's this. a job <laughs> You're gonna that does me? this? Oh, no, you can't find anybody not for enough. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's sticking around for more than a year. Yeah, like, there's absolutely no way. I could commit my life to that. Like that is, that is just, that's, I, I know that's not for me. <laughs> and that night there was this, again, this tug of war. And I just, there was this inner peace huh. and I'll never forget. I, I, I called the leadership back and I just, it's like, listen, I don't know what I'm doing. My degree, I don't have a degree in this, but there's a yes in my heart for it. And they're like, well, we've been waiting for you to call back. That's why we haven't filled, filled the role because we know you're the, our guy. Hmm. And that was seven years. Seven years of um, working with the unsheltered population. And we've had some, you know, um, encounters with some homeless individuals. We had, you know, and that, that, I mean, that was, it was the, it just opened my, um, it opened me up to this invitation of love yeah. that I didn't think what that I didn't even know existed for my life. Like, mm. you know, I yeah. mean, I grew yeah. up as a musician, like not a missionary. Right. So I don't, I didn't have a desire for the poor or like, yeah. I didn't, you know, like that wasn't the desire for a green room. Like, like that wasn't like <laughs> my green thing, room you know, and charcuterie and, you know, it's just like, I don't, that's not like what, yeah. you know, what was so interesting to me in, in the middle, uh, somewhere in that I met you and I remember being, uh, in, you were, in, you were in the class I was teaching yeah. and you, uh, we talked about this off when the, uh, 
before we started, but it was just so funny because I knew you as, as a person that was working at Star of Hope doing yeah. their, um, um, their program there. And you came to me and said, Hey, I can't be at class, you know, uh, on Friday. And you had this sheepish look on your face. And I said, why? And it's like, you didn't want to tell me. And I kind of, I was like, so what's going on? And you said, well, I'm uh, singing backup for Stevie Wonder. And, and so I was like, what? Here during the week, you were running. Did you give him an excused absence? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only if Stevie Did Wonder you? signed your <laughs> excused absence. Right? So, I mean, yeah. so you still have this, like, I was like, that was, who is this guy? Yeah, that was really hard. I mean, because I didn't want to let you down. Well, I because I wanted to be, I really wanted to be. But a, he didn't want to let Stevie down. No, either. listen, you you chose wisely, Grasshopper. <laughs> he didn't want to let either one of you down. But let's say, wait, wait, like Stevie so or Matt, this, like like this program that you're developing with homeless folks, and and I mean, I yeah. call you, I call you with the homeless guy that I've befriended. It was like, how do we get this guy off the street? Three months later, this guy has permanent supportive housing because yeah. of you. But then you're like singing with Alicia Keys on the weekend. Yeah. I'm like, I like. I, how do you make yeah, I'm sense? I'm definitely of, choosing Alicia Keys over you. Yeah, well, and Steve. Yes, right. Yeah. I choose Alicia Keys over me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like that's a like it seems like that what the Lord had done was not like make you choose, but you're like there's a creation of both your music and this gift or passion that God's given you, and both of those somehow work. I mean that was and that was a journey because mm. that was a season where I was really I found myself like mourning, like grieving, like what is, no. you know, cause these were very abrupt like transitions, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. like I radically left everything and drove to Houston mm. <laughs> like in a week, you know? And, and when I got here, I'm, I'm processing what is going on, Lord, what is happening? And was all those wasted years, you know, and, and will I ever, um, in many ways get that back or what is that is this you know and so the, it was a it was a journey and it was a struggle like that wasn't easy you mm -hmm. know um, and again through a divine encounter I took my best friend to uh, we actually and this is how Stevie the, the whole Stevie Wonder thing even came about is um, we my best friend had a 30th birthday we decided as a group of guys to surprise him because we had some friends at the time who were on tour with Stevie Wonder okay. and we uh, bought a ticket to and we fl we flown him out to Kansas City and after that after the first show um, we went backstage and we and we met Stevie and all that well Stevie Wonder's at the time vocal producer was one of my old professors so um, we we kind of connected and it's like, hey, what are you doing now? And I'm like, um, I am in um, I am <laughs> working with homelessness. <laughs> like he's like under a bridge. Like, are you it's like, are you are you OK? Do you need some encouragement or it's like, <laughs> um, I need some encouragement. I, you know, it's like I'm kind of loving it. You know, it's just. Yeah. He's like, okay, okay. You know, he kind of brushed me off and he, he took my number. Well, that Tuesday he called me and he says, listen, I, I, you know, you were dealing with, I know you told me something about homelessness you're doing or whatever, but we had a guy that had to go back home for emergency leave and we need you to, we need a sub. And so I thought of you and I don't, you know, if this is possible, like, you know, we would love for you to join the rest of the tour. And I, I remember driving and I was like, uh, yeah. Sure. Like, <laughs> I mean, who's, uh, no, yes. Stevie Wonder. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, after the phone call, I'm like, how in the world am I going to make this work? Like, I got to, yeah. I, I have a job. I'm at Star of Hope. Like, this is, you know, and um, I went to Star of Hope and was like, listen, this is the deal. And, you know, they were just so gracious and was like, Kenneth, this is incredible. Like, do whatever I mean we'll do whatever we need to do so they gave me their blessing and I just made it work so I mean I was literally work I would fly in um after the sh after the show work literally driving under the bridges and then I would fly out on Fridays for the shows and then come back and it was just this crazy you know I, I so here's a funny story so one of my um 
clients under the bridge. She asked me, you know, how was your weekend? And I was like, well, if I tell you, you probably think I'm, you probably won't believe me. He's like, well, okay, what's up? Well, I sang with Stevie Wonder <laughs> last night. He's like, I got some pills that I just took. <laughs> you probably need you what probably I just need took. Those things more than and I it do. was just hilarious. <laughs> it was like, yeah, man, I, you know, it's just a crazy world and yeah. ride, you know. And um, I realize now, and it was just a sweet moment that, like, you know, I felt like that was just the Lord kind of just honoring my heart. And, you know, um, and, you know, what's interesting was while I was there, I really began to understand, like, wow, okay, the fulfillment of my life and, mm-hmm. and heart really, or the identity of who I am is really not tied up into this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I and I think that was why the invitation, like why he, the Lord invited me back so that I could really, really see clearly like mm-hmm. this is that my life is so much bigger if I desire, if I am willing to allow him to mm. continue to write my story, that there's so much, there's just unlimited possibilities of what he's able to do through me. And I realized that, you know, um, the second time around, it's like, okay, yeah, this is this is great, amazing. Stevie is hilarious. Like, it's amazing, you know. But there, there, there is so much more, you know. And um, so that that was that was sweet, and it was really for me because I was trying to figure out what is this, you know, like, how do you make sense of all this? Right. Because this is crazy. Right. Right. It I really love the, is. I love the timing, you know, and and um, and theological terms there's like a chronological time and then there's this like god time kairos Kairos. time yeah yeah and it's like for some reason there is there were things that you said that just kind of came and unfolded in your life and then there's you needed that little period of time your brother and doing this with star of hope and then you went back to this thing that you thought you were going to be and do and that you love right and you realize okay this is not what it was before because Mm -hmm. my life experience is yeah. redefined what fulfills me, mm-hmm. you know, what my passion is in life. My brother often yeah. tells me, you know, like you helped save my life and I get all that. Um, but what's really, um, I, and my response to him is always like, man, you, you, you have helped awaken a life that I didn't even exist. I didn't know was even possible for me. Mm. And you invited me into an invitation of love that I didn't know existed on the inside of me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm living a dream, a new dream, his dream that I, that I never knew was possible, that I never knew I had. And, um, it has, it has, it has, um, again, it shifted the trajectory of, of how I see life and how I live life. And, um, it's it's um it's allowed me to understand that again success for me is is only really truly found when I'm walking in the divine purpose and calling for my life in him and um that's it is in that place where I've found truest fulfillment and eternal joy <laughs> you know to where even on my worst day you know um, when someone ticks it's like man this is what I am called to do mm. And it's not that I'm neglecting all of what I've experienced or all of who I am. It's just, it's this beautiful, you know, um, mosaic of like what God is doing in my life. Um, With my simple yes, you know, Um, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm still on this journey, you know, I'm 34 years old. Like this is not, this is crazy, you know, baby. Yeah. Like. It's, it's crazy to me that you like that simple. Yes. You say yes to something that like you're not qualified for and you don't feel you're qualified for. Well, that's but why you I actually have all these gifts for. Well, then that was the reason why I had to, I feel like I, had, I needed to, to go to seminary. It's like, maybe I, I, I should, I, I got to get credentials. It's like, maybe I should just try to maybe get, go back to school. Yeah. And you know, so, and, and the, I, I'm just trying to figure out like, and discern like, what is the mm. next step? Right. And so a part of those steps was, Hey, let me just, I don't, I'm not, it's just me and my brother. Let me just go to school 
I don't know how I was doing that. Yeah. While t- I was just, you know, but um, yeah, I felt like I needed to yeah. get credentialed or get, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. 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 So Fuller and Fuller, Fuller, uh, man, it's just, it, I wept when I graduated <laughs> because it, it, it was such a part of my formation. It was such a part yeah. of me discovering like, um, what is, what is God called me to do? Yeah. You know, and it, and it helped me put language to it, you know, and it was just, I mean, and the friendship and the kinship that's come out of that, um, was also very transformative for yeah. me in the, you know, in my season of, you know, I'm, super young I don't you know I was just trying to understand what's next and people like Matt and others Karen Parchman and Andy and you know were just help um bring language you know to to what the Lord was doing in mm-hmm. my life so that was a very transformative season for me mm-hmm. and and so um yeah that's why I I have a deep place So I'm shifting gears a little bit because this is fascinating to me and it's come up as we're doing some visioning and discernment at Chapelwood and different campuses and how we engage in ministry in the community. Language is very important. Mm. I I mean, I've always known that as a culture guy, but I'm discovering when we were on campus and we have a food pantry, a food pantry has been the third largest food distribution site since the beginning of the pandemic for the Houston Food Bank over on this campus. And now we've, they, they've gone to this, they call it the client choice model. Mm-hmm. And we refer to them here are our clients. Yeah. And as we were doing some brainstorming, there were some, you know, some, some young, yeah. well, there's just some young, way more innovative and creative and smarter people than I'm. There's like, you know, client just such a transactional kind of, yeah. you know <laughs> why why not why don't we use community or is there other language we can use is there other language that, that we can you know, use that our make, neighbors make the know. people who come in because because what happened was there were folks that come to the food pantry to get food they were there volunteering and helping wow. to prepare for the the thing so oh we have clients helping us today volunteering right. Right. and i didn't think about it until that came up you use the term a couple that. of terms Navigation. navigation. I love that term. And you also use a word that I think is probably foreign to a lot of people who sit on the top side of society. When you use unsheltered, not mm-hmm. homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about the language and the transition of how, why is it important that we think about the words that we use? Language brings people into community, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. when I refer to our unsheltered population as friends or neighbors or even those who are sheltered as guests versus clients or people who are in our housing programs as participants versus clients they're participating with us in our programs it 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 um it creates for them a sense of invitation for them to move into not just being a part of a program but really deeper community and connection yeah. and kinship and that's um, that is critical in our work because um, at the at, at at the root of it all, the foundational point of it all, it's really about um, how do we bring how do we um, connect them to community. Housing is just the first step, right? The 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 food box is just the first step, that's right. right? And so we we um, a part of our mission coordination is really bringing in and wrapping surrounding our our team to understand how critical language is because you know um and then you know a part of it too is you know it it triggers trauma also for certain you know individuals where a client is you know for some is considered a case or a number right and so how do we um how do we use different words and language to 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 help shape community around them and to help them reimagine what that looks like so a part of that is how we engage with them and and the words we say matter mm-hmm. they truly matter and um, that's been a huge part in in shaping our our culture now is that we um, we we care even with the words that we say. Yeah. 
and how we engage um, with our yeah, I think homeless that, folks. I think that, you know, some, we try to do this podcast to speak faith, but hopefully to people that are not, not in an overly staid way, right? right. That, that, can, that can trans, you know, people who may say I'm spiritual but not religious, yeah, or I don't do right. church, or right. I don't like church, I don't connect to church. But we also have people that are in the church that listen to this. I wonder, there's been such resistance around the language. Mm. You know, people want to say, well, that's just the push of the woke generation and the political correctness. And, you know, the old words worked fine. And I'm learning that when I hear the rationale, this is what I think would be very important for no matter where we are on the spectrum of our spiritual growth or self-awareness, is that ask people why those words are important to them. Ask them why they use those words. Yeah. When you explain why you use those words, it's very biblical. It's we want you to be in community. We right. are connected. We don't want you to feel like you are an outsider yeah. or an outcast or you're not worthy or we you only are valuable to us in this moment for this transaction. Right. But that you're actually you're you're with us on this whole journey. You might be unsheltered right now. And I might be sheltered, but we're still two yeah. human beings yeah. who are on a journey together. Yeah. It's, it's huge. Um, mm. It's huge. I, I remember at a, being somewhere where I, I, I called someone at ex-con. He had spent a long time in prison. And he came to me later and said, hey, would you, um, would you think about that language? And I was, you know, I was like, yeah, help me with this. He said, would you think about calling us uh, and using the language of a returning citizen? And I was like, damn, yes. Because yeah. that, in that, all of a sudden, I saw a prodigal son coming back home, hmm. right? I saw someone that had, had, had returned from something, right. right? That this, you know, and the ex-con, you know, right. or the, whatever that category was, put someone in a, this super judgmental role. I didn't mean for it to. It was just the word I was given. Never thought about what it meant to use that word. Mm. And now in those situations i realize oh a lot of these folks want to return and be returning citizens they want to give back they want to because innovate. you're defining them yes. based on a previous definition they paid the penalty yes and served the time right yes. they're no longer a convict no longer so, you, will so I call it, you. it's almost like if i say <laughs> like uh, you're yeah. i got people in my church go hey ex-adulterer how are you doing yeah right. with your new wife i'm, I'm fine <laughs> thank you <laughs> like, right yeah, we don't. We, yeah. Don't, we don't do that. No, do we? we don't do no, that. But we do that in categories like you're talking about, John. Where I also think the question I've always asked is in those kind of movements, mm. like with your brother and you. Even I, 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 as I've gotten to know you, I wonder who got saved in that. Your brother for sure, mm. but you got saved. Absolutely. And so there's a mutual saving that the Holy Spirit does yeah. in the middle of that. And if if language keeps me away from that experience. I'm impeding something that the Spirit wants to say, hey, there's a oneness of, of God that's going on here. And, and the, I mean, like, you know, from, a, from someone who's living on the streets and who's just, you know, who's in the middle of addiction, like they, the theology that they face is rejection every day from, all, from, from, from everything around them. You know, it's, it's, it's a non-inviting, non-engaging, you know, um, approach and a part of that is language you know before you tell me what the rules are <laughs> tell me what's possible for my life uh, yeah. tell me with what the unlimited possibilities are for me that could help me reimagine what is what 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 is next or what could be next for me versus telling me you know take that off take that off you know we don't you know how many bags you have you know how much do, <laughs> do they weigh and so you know uh, it's it's it um uh, everyone is everyone is wanting to belong and that was one of the things that i felt like me and my brother that that was that's what drew us closer together because i saw my brokenness in him and he's you know i mean and so we we mm. share this this deep brokenness together and um and we both were wanting a place to belong. And we both were wanting authentic community. And I had to respect him for who he was and is. And I had to see him 
um, above his addiction and above his um, lack of, you know, you know, education and all that. And um, and it challenged me to um, to engage him at a level where he's respected mm-hmm. and he has dignity because that was a part of him of the shaping of his own heart and life. Mm. And I understood that, that that was a, a critical part in, in the journey to, together. And that's, that's no different from anyone that, that, that we, you know, encounter daily, you know, is that, um, the question for me is how deep do I want to love my brother? And I had to change in that process, you know, and, you know, um, <clears throat> that was a huge part of it. It's because it was a shared responsibility. You know, it was, I had a responsibility to let go and to kind of remove the blinders, so to speak, of like what I, you know, thought and, and, and how I would, you know, approach him and his situation. And I had to see myself among <laughs> and say, man, there is no difference. I mean, we're, we, everyone is asking and, 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 and searching for this, this sense of belonging. And it starts with how we engage mm. and um, how we identify each other. And that's a huge part of, um, of, of what we're after right now. I mean, we, we even use the word um, care management versus client management or case management, right? Because, these, you know, who wants to be identified as a case, as a number, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. But what do we do, you know? Um, and um, and so um, we, we're we're helping our teams understand that that next step is driven by them. You know, it's what's it's it's their values. It's not our value. It's their values. Mm-hmm. So, what is most important to you? I, and I had to really ask, like in, in this journey with my brother. Well, what, listen. I know I can see and I have a vision of what I feel is best for you, but that may not be what your value is right now. Mm-hmm. That may not be what's most important to you right now. Yeah. And what I learned is that what was most important to him in that moment in, in those trying years was he just wanted a brother. He wanted a connection and he wanted to um, feel as if this was a place where he can be himself without the parameters of rules and regulations. And so one of the first things that I said to him when he came in is like, listen, everything that you see is yours. You don't have to steal anything. It's yours. Wow. And it shifted. Something mm-hmm. shifted because he felt as if he had a sense of ownership to where he can be himself. And he's not looking over with him. You know, no one's looking over him with a microscope and saying, hey, you know, they're they're waiting for you to fail. This is a, a lot of what we're talking about now, how how church does ministry, how our church does ministry yeah. in a community that that's radically diverse. And there's, you know, the, it's churches always have this mentality. It's like, okay, we have this group. We kind of all look the same. We kind of come from the same socioeconomic background yeah. for most, you know, we have some diversity. Like we got one slightly off-white person here and <laughs> we got diversity, right? And, and, we, and, but then they're like, well, we're in this changing community. Yes. And that's now Hispanic and there's homeless and there's Korean Americans and there's Africans, all this. And it's like, but the church never reflects that. And they'll say, well, we're going to be, we're going to be in ministry to the community, but it's always uh, like, okay, we have something to help you. So we're going to kind of venture out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> give CLT, you that. We and we're going to seal team six. six. We're going to go out in. in the community. We're going to give you that. Then we're going to come back in. Then we're going to lock the doors. We okay? And then, and then we're like, well, uh, yeah, we'd love for you to come to church on Sunday. And when they show up, like, uh, we have security. <laughs> There's a guy with a the bag. There's a bag over here. Yeah. There's a guy with a bag over here. <laughs> I love I love how— but It's just that mentality yeah, of, yeah. of what we're trying to really wrestle with now is, I think, and I think it's 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 the evolving way of thinking about doing mission in the world is we're not doing mission in the world. We are yeah. mission in the world. It's 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 a— it's even the bridge analogy talking about yeah. images and language yeah. that we're talking about the, Oh, the bridge, it, it, it goes yeah. in two directions. Well, why is there a bridge at all? Why aren't we just like, Absolutely. why is it one piece of, 
there's nothing that divides us except what we create. Right. You know, right. What's, what's interesting right. is that a, a, a part of that, what I've experienced is that a part of that, like that, um, the sense of, um, kind of compartmentalizing missions to a committee or a people or a, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, well, you, you should connect to the missions ministry or the mission people and they do they all do of that. They do that stuff. And I realized, like, I was like, well, what is that? You know, like, what is that yeah. disconnect? And a part of what we're doing with our team is that, I mean, our, our kind of theme for the year is leaning into our, leaning into our own discomforts. And I've, I'm, I've, I've discovered that a part of that kind of disconnect is we really don't want to be transformed. Like we don't really want to engage, right. you know, and, and, um, and being more like Jesus because what I'd learned and with my brother is that I, I was more transformed in that process than all that I did for him. Yes. I am better. Who I am today is because of of, right. of, right. of that journey and that encounter. And yeah. um Absolutely. I had to I had to I had to get rid of some stuff, you know. I was gonna say trans <laughs> Jesus was not about imparting information. Jesus was about transformation. The difference yeah. is I can learn all sorts of stuff about what you do and about what needs to be happening in the community. Every book. Transformation right. transformation <laughs> involves death. It involves dying to things. Yeah. It involves giving up small idols or large idols in your life. Transformation involves this metanoia going beyond the mind in the new direction. Yes. And most people are like, I'm good with information. That's right. Well, since we've reduced Christianity to information, right? Mm -hmm. And so we say, you tell me what you believe. <laughs> okay. Yes, you're a Christian. Why? Because I said the right words, right? But Matthew, is it 24, 25? What's the one? The sheep and the goat, the separation of that? Yeah, it's, it's there towards the end. Towards the end of Matthew. <laughs> I should have said that. To the back of Matthew. <laughs> I'm sure you Baptist folks know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but but it's, it's that that ought to mess us up a bit. Mm -hmm. That at the end of that where Jesus says, you know, um, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, mm. you know, I cast demons out in your name, yeah. you know, and he's going to say, wait, did I meet you at a cocktail party? Because I do not remember you. And other people are like, I don't know who you are. I was just, I was just showing up to a homeless population. You it know, shows up a lot shelter population. He, where he said, I think it's in seven where he says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord right. will enter the kingdom right. of yeah. God. So it's about doing. Only those, he said, uh -huh. only those Whoa. that do. Do. <laughs> Only those this is that scary do. to me because I Whoa. don't know in this conversation how much of a Christian I am, right? I mean, I want to be more of a Christian, but I think sometimes I have been so um, I have been so seduced by the right thinking about God mm -hmm. that might save me from having to really do anything, right? And so I, I I'm saying that with the hope that there's still hope for me. Right. But I, when you say that, John, it's like, if it comes down to that, like, Lord, keep being patient with me and drawing me forward into something deeper. Cause I, I think at the end of the day, we want that. We're just afraid. Mm. You know, I think most of the people I'm with want that kind of, like when you, when you begin and John begins to describe this kind of thing that God's doing, we want that. I'm just afraid. Mm. And is there going to be someone there that's going to say, Oh, you, you can die to that. It's you're going to let go of stuff that at the end, you're going to say, why didn't I do this earlier? You know? Right. Right. And I think that's what, what as pastors and as, as, as the learning you know? anxiety, you right. have to cast yeah. a vision. Learning anxiety right. is I'm, mm. I'm afraid that I can't live into that. Yeah. Like what you're calling me to be and who you're calling, how you're calling me yeah. to live. I'm not sure I, I can, I do, can that. do that. Yeah. I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I'm capable of that. Yeah. So leaders have to, uh, help people say you can do this yeah we can do this we can do this yeah. together. I like yeah. That. Yeah. we can do it together i have I, what do, how are we doing on time uh we're at 55 minutes i do have one thing i would like to because i think it it would help me because yeah. i'm selfish and i just this is the way i go <laughs> houston and you well and also you're a skilled practitioner in in this in this whole realm in the last few years, and of course, pandemic has been in the front, forefront of everything, but I'm just going to use homelessness because that's the way it's yeah. been talked about in, yes. in the city. Yes. Right? right. And our mayor 
they they did this thing where like the the tents and everything under 59 down when you go to Minute Maid yeah. you know they, every once in a while they come and they, they clean all that out they're going to say we're going to move I don't know where they move them to but they're going to move them out mm-hmm. of certain places and then there was a, a, a an encouragement and it was even some ministry groups in the community said don't give to panhandlers don't give yeah. to people on the street because it only enables or whatever and yeah. all this kind of stuff help people who listen I mean first off what is it like for the unsheltered population out there um and and how how does someone like you know I drive when you drive by someone yeah um what do we do well not only what do you do because I don't think you can answer that for every person right. but, but I think how how we think about what we see um because a lot of, we just don't know yeah these folk I don't know that we take time to know these folks. Exactly. Folk. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm going I'm to speak from the perspective of me on the streets, mm-hmm. you know, as an outreach case manager that was literally hustling, trying to get folks to, um, you know, and it was trying to, you know, help trying to learn really just, you know, form relationships. And, um, and there was always this kind of like, disconnect because we're as social workers are trying to really help you know individuals get get on a path of their choice Mm -hmm. and move toward that next step and then we have community that really wants to be a part and they want to play a role um and so you know with with so what was happening is that the i mean we would have groups um i mean that would come and they would feed and they would, you know, provide. And then Monday we would deal with all of the food poisoning and all of the different things, you know, diarrhea and all that, that we would have to, that would in in many ways like deter us from, you know, the next steps. And so, um, you know, we would encourage groups, Hey, you know, there's Monday through Friday, there's groups of people that, you know, or have either soup kitchens or that have the, the, you know, the permits and all what they need in order to, you know, provide those finding intentional ways to engage, mm-hmm. um, that it's helpful or, you know, thinking about different, um, opportunities that could help us and, you know, moving towards what that next step is. And so that was the, that was, you know, on a ground level, man, that was a little bit frustrating because we're like, you know, you know, we couldn't, we were building rapport and building relationship, but all their needs are met on that corner. You know, they get, they get everything that they need. So why, why, why do I want a home? (laughs) Why do I want a place to live when I'm good? You know, I got a guy that comes every Tuesday and he gives me 20 bucks. You know, um, I got people that come in, you know, give me food. And so, you know, and, and there are certain people that this is how they want to live, you know? And so we, as, you know, being, you know, client centered and helping them understand this, if this is what you desire, then okay. You know, cause the services are all, you know, based on your engagement. But the challenge was, is that we were trying to get individuals and communities and organizations to come alongside together mm-hmm. and let's figure out what a care coordination plan is to help, to truly help these individuals who are really very vulnerable. And they're trying to understand, you know, what their next steps are. And some of them don't know. And they and, and we're there to kind of help them to identify those so that was that you know from a from a you know frontline level that was really frustrating you know um and you know we i mean and then there was like you know i mean just <laughs> trash everywhere so you know we're we're helping with you know the downtown management district and you know so it's like now we have even more issues that mm-hmm. are being created because of that so so i hear you saying and tell me if i'm wrong Rather than think about whatever, you know, we, we think about these things that make, make me feel good. I pack mm-hmm. up a bunch of sandwiches and I go down there and I hand them out on Saturday. I feel good about that. It's, That's I, a I, powerful question. And, and it's, <laughs> to me, I hear you almost saying, like, rather than an organization or a church or, or you as an individual, rather than do that, find 
someone like your group or other groups that are regularly serving. So when you drive by, that makes me think now, if I'm driving by and I see someone and that pricks my heart, my donation goes to a soup kitchen or an entity that's helping people to, like you said, live into their, their best future. And cause it's, cause it, it, you know, it's a both and, and mm-hmm. you know, getting to know that individual and understanding mm-hmm. what, okay, so what is, what's most important to you in this very moment? Mm-hmm. Is it a home? Is it family? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, because that, that we're, you know, identify, you know, helping them with their basic needs. There's so many places in the community that's doing that. Um, but from our experience, no one is asking the, the questions that help them under really help them discover what is next because they're all in survival mode. Yeah. Right. And so they probably never have, they, they don't even, when you're, when you're locked up and your back against the wall or you're injured or damaged, you don't think about "Hmm, what does my future look like? Right. Right. There is no future. There is no future. You're just trying to figure out where your next meal is going to come from and where you're going to sleep, you know? And so, um, so that that's a that and you know and we tell folks all the time if you feel like it's, if you just feel in your heart that's what you want to do i mean you know give <laughs> but yeah i would that, never tell anyone don't do it yeah but i would hope that it would seeing people on the on the corner or when you run into someone that it would there would be more that we would think about more that we would figure out how to participate and help at a broader level. Yeah. Right, and a part of that too is um, is educating the community of what the, of what resources are available and in the city of Houston specifically, mm. which is one of the cities that's leading the nation in, um, and I use this in quotations, um, ending chronic homelessness. There's so many uh, opportunities for any individual or family to move towards supportive housing and services. Yeah. yeah. You know, so That's I mean, and, and, and so when I see anyone on the street, my question is, have you engaged in a assessment for housing? Oh, I don't know what that is. So that's, that's my first, yeah, I'm providing your basic needs, but I'm after stabilization and stability for you. Yeah. I'm after a long-term solution. Yeah. And that's always my, target is to help them help them navigate towards what that next steps what are their next steps are what do you need id social i mean those are the types of things that these individuals really need you know there's only one service provider in the city that provides ids and socials for the entire homeless community that's main street ministries downtown really it's one only one that's nuts yeah right and so Educating the community on what are the what are the need what are what are the real needs what are the critical mm-hmm. needs, um, you know how can they engage and and you know that's a that's a part of it too because if you don't know what's available or what or what the resources are to help, you know you won't you're just you're being led really on your emotion to just help and to do what you can and that sandwiches or if that's mm-hmm. giving out twenty bucks that's what you're gonna do right. You know, but a part of it is we, as a social service community, have to also engage mm-hmm. um, within our community and to share these resources and to help our, you know, community understand what what is happening. You know, so it's not it's it's not just you know. I mean, if you don't know these programs exist, because <laughs> they're not just you know. I mean, that's a part of what our responsibility is as well. So that's a that's something that I'm really trying to, you know, push the city and us as social service providers to help our community engage with. You know, we just spent $110,000 in rental assistance in 14 days. So there's help. There I mean there is there's help. There's help, but people don't know. Yeah. People have no idea. Yeah. That's what available. I found to be so helpful in getting to know you is that there is definitive pathways Absolutely. from unsheltered to sheltered, right? Um, and and that you know that take into account mental illness, that take into account incarceration and backgrounds like that, take into account traumatic um, events in one's life, right? right? And and 
I think that that's like, those are the things that I would like to be a part of a church that kind of has a working, or at least some folks that have a working knowledge of that, right. that as we befriend people, you know, our friends are homeless. How do we then begin to, to create shelter and opportunities for shelter? You know, right. I think that's a, I think Jesus would be very happy at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's, that's where we're headed. You know, yeah. it's, it's to, I mean, there's, as you, as you saw, there's a, there's a hundred million dollars that yes. you know um, that the state and the and the government, the federal government is is has has is given us to help increase these programs. And so, Salvation Army plays a, a huge role in that. We have 421 vouchers in our programs to assist with rent subsidy. That's amazing for the homeless individuals. So you know, it that's something that I'm 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 really hoping we can we can do more of is to um, educate and give more information about what's not just happening, but what's available. Um, we need to do a part two. Yes, we do. We maybe do. get some other folks that are involved in a lot yeah, of this yeah. and let them friends. just come and talk and we'll just sit on the we'll side. And go. And <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. All right. So more. do you want to sing us out? Because <laughs> that's all I think is like, how are we going to exit out of this that's podcast? Right. Give us a little Alicia Keys. I'll do. I'll do Stevie's part. <laughs> Very superstitious. Nice. That's right. All right. Yeah. That's well, you want to tell them about Easter? If yeah. Anybody's so, listening. So Kenneth, you're going to be here um, helping us lead worship on one of our services on Easter Sunday. Maybe more than one now. It may, we, yeah, we may maybe just multiple. Dial you in. Maybe multiple, man. <laughs> maybe we may have. We may be. We may <laughs> be moving him around. John has yeah. FOMO yeah. around this. Man. Oh yeah, no, I'm really right. upset. I'm, I'm going to put you in the sanctuary. I'll, do, I'm going I'll go. I'll show. go. I'm so excited, man. I'm excited about you being here. Alicia. It's going to be good. So if you want to hear, he's not going to sing us out. But if you want to hear, Alicia Keys and. Sing. She coming to lead yeah. and and you're bringing Alicia and Stevie Wonder. So come to Easter hey, at Chapelwood. <laughs> Anything's possible. That's right. Well, I'm John Stevens. I'm Matt Russell, and I'm honored to be here. I'm Kenneth Devon, and this is Pod Have Mercy. Oh.